Genesis chapter 9. Our text this morning is found in verses 8 through 17. I have to look back to see the, uh, the title. Uh, this, the first service, I came up the stairs and they put the title up and it was a totally different title than what it was supposed to be. So I had to kind of make reference to the fact that I don't know where that title came from, but this is the right one. A Covenant and a Sign, verses 8 through 17. As we have prayed already for our study today, let's read it and get right into our, our, our study. And God spoke unto Noah... And to his sons with him, saying, And I, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you, and with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl, of the cattle, and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. And I will establish my covenant with you, Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. And God said, This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. And I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the waters shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. And I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. Now, a good outline to describe what has taken place in the book of Genesis from chapter 6 through chapter 9 would look like this. It will begin with depravity. This, of course, is what we see in Genesis chapter 6, where God saw the wickedness of man and the wickedness that was in the heart of man and saw that there was then no longer a desire for God. There was only rebellion and rejection of God, a defiance of God. And so God then chose to judge the earth through a flood, which leads us to our second point, which is a deluge. The deluge, speaking of the flood that came from the waters that broke from the heavens above and the waters that came up from the earth beneath. But not all people on the earth, of course, would be destroyed. The Lord spoke to Noah because Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. And God sent Noah and his family, his wife, his three sons and their wives, those eight people, he set them apart and, and 
commanded Noah to build an ark, a large, large box to carry his family as well as the animals of the earth that were to be saved. Because when this flood would come, it would destroy all the earth. It would destroy all the life on the earth. And so from that deluge, God had a plan for deliverance. And that's our third point. Deliverance. God delivers man through Noah and his family from this judgment. But let's add one more point to this outline as we come now to the middle of chapter 9. And that is a decree. Depravity, deluge, or deluge, deliverance, and a decree. We will call that decree a covenant today. But while a general definition of the word decree would be a formal and authoritative order, especially by one having the force of law, one dictionary added a theological definition that reads, one of the eternal purposes of God by which events are foreordained. There should be no conflict then in realizing that the Lord God who created the heavens and the earth and all that is within them cares deeply about his creation. So much so that he decrees, he commands, he uh, ordains, and he decides the future of mankind that remains after the devastation of a worldwide flood. In other words, those eight people that came off of the ark, Noah and his family, as well as all the animals that survived. Now let's remember something. Let's remember the flood being the most terrible or horrible of tragedies for the eight that survived on the ark of God. Remember that all of the earth was wiped out except them and a boatload of animals. Let's not forget the trauma of the torrential rain and the breaking of the subterranean waters and the volcanic eruptions beneath them. And let's not forget that all the others had perished because they had cursed God, because they had rejected Him and rebelled against Him and refused to follow and obey Him. Now, just consider the trauma of knowing that you are a sinner and that God judges sin beyond any question. Consider that Noah already knew this because of what he had seen take place. How then could he know that God would not rise up and and, and judge him and his family when they sinned in the future, judging them as he had just done all the others? Left only to themselves, Noah and the survivors would have been terrified. Left to themselves, they would have lived in constant fear and constant terror. But, but, But they were not left to themselves. They weren't left to themselves because God was with them. Do you remember when God tells Noah to enter into the ark? Do you know what word he uses? Do you remember what word it was? It was the word come. He says come into the ark. As if he's speaking directly from inside of that large, large box. He says come into the ark. I'll be with you. This has always been God's promise to His people. I will be with you. 
It's the very same thing that we see in the invitation that Jesus gives us in Matthew 11 when He says, Come unto Me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I'll give you rest. Come to Me. Because Jesus Christ is the ark of our salvation. We are to come to Him. That's the invitation. So they weren't left to themselves. You see, God loved them. God loved them. God loved this family that had trusted in Him. That had, that had become true followers of God. It speaks a lot, actually. And we haven't said much about this. But it speaks a lot about Noah's love for God and His Word. And His, and his way of communicating that to His own family. That the only ones that are, that, that are able to come into the ark are, are His family. It says a lot about what He has taught them about God. God cared about them. God cared about their needs. He knew about their apprehensions and their fears. He knew about their uneasiness, their uncertainty and their insecurity that often attacked their hearts. Listen, how would you feel being in, a, in this ark for a, over a year? Much of that time. On water. Much of that time, out of control. You, you have no control of what's going on. You're just in there. Would you not have some uncertainties? Would you not have some insecurities? Some little bit of, of uneasiness? I can tell you this. Every one of us would. The fact of the matter is, even today, some of us, because we're still in flesh, some of us still even have some doubts. Now, I thank the Lord that we may have a doubt or two, but then if we come to the Lord in prayer and we get into His Word, you know, God clarifies a lot of things for us that we don't have to worry about things. But we have them because we're human. So think about that for just a moment. Think about that. God knew about those things. God knew that they needed one thing above all else. They needed assurance. They needed assurance. They needed the assurance that the, tra- you know, the terrifying tragedy of that flood would never again take place. They needed to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that they and their seed would survive and replenish the earth. And this is just what God gives them. He gives them assurance. By the way, He's been giving them that assurance all along, but God's patient. And sometimes He knows that we need, to, you know, we need to go an extra step to learn something else about something He's already taught us. But that's why He gives this covenant. Let's consider the covenant's author for just a moment. We find that the covenant's author, of course, is God Himself. Look at verse 8. And God spoke unto Noah. That's all we need to know. God spoke to Noah. God was saying, I've got something to tell you. And so God's the author of that covenant we're talking about. So without any question, the author of this covenant is God and God alone. Now usually a covenant is an agreement between two parties. Each party agrees to do something. And thereby a covenant of behavior is established between them. When you deal with a covenant like that, you're dealing with what is usually called a conditional covenant. 
There are certain conditions applied. A person will say, if I do this and this and this, you need to do this and this and this. Or they'll say, if you do this and this and this, I will do that, that and that. And then you make the agreement. That's a covenant. But that's a conditional covenant. But not in this case here. Not in this case in in Genesis chapter 9. Not in what we call the Noahic covenant. N-O-A-H-I-C. The Noahic covenant. The covenant that God made with Noah. In this covenant, the promise of God will be fulfilled no matter what Noah and the rest of mankind do. The covenant is going to be fulfilled no matter what anybody does. No matter even what Noah does. God is going to fulfill His covenant. Now this is what might be called a one-way covenant, uh, an unconditional covenant, a covenant of promise or a covenant of grace. One person says, this is what I'm going to do, and that's just the way it is. And I'm going to fulfill it. And I'm going to carry it out. Neither Noah nor any other person has to do anything in order to receive this promise of God. The Noahic covenant is an unconditional covenant. It is a covenant of promise that is established and set up by God no matter how man behaves. Please understand that about this one covenant. God and God alone established the Noahic covenant. And I want you to notice how clearly this is brought out in our text. That it is God and God alone. Notice verse 9. I behold, I establish my covenant with you. I establish my covenant. Verse 11. And I will establish my covenant with you. Verse 12. This is the token of the covenant which I make between me and you and every living creature. Verse 15. I will remember my covenant. Verse 17. This is the token of the covenant which I have established. I think God's made it pretty clear. It's His covenant. And He's going to keep that covenant. And nothing else is said about what Noah or anybody else has got to do. It is God that is giving this kind of covenant. So this covenant will remain for all successive generations, which means that, uh, as we see in verse 12, to perpetual generations. All succeeding generations. Every person born out of every person born out of every person born out of every person born from Noah on. Until it gets to us. That covenant is for all perpetual generations. It is unconditional. It is universal. And it is everlasting. And this is God's commitment to the whole of humanity. God's commitment to the whole of humanity and all terrestrial creation. In other words, every creature that has lived and living and is living on this earth. That would include the surviving animal population. The animals are actually blessed by this covenant as well. And when I thought about that, it brought to mind Psalm 148, which I read at the beginning of this service. And I'll read again. Because I want you to see how that ties in to what God is doing in giving this particular covenant to all of humanity and all of creation. Because Psalm 148 very clearly says, Praise ye the Lord. As I said earlier, that's not a suggestion. It's not even a hope. It is a command. 
And that not just to certain people, it is a command to all of creation. Praise ye the Lord. The word in the Hebrew is hallelujah. Praise ye the Lord. Praise ye the Lord from the heavens. Praise Him in the heights. Praise ye Him, all His angels. Praise ye Him, all His hosts. I want you to begin to see how far-reaching this particular covenant is, or how far-reaching this particular command is for the creation to praise God. Praise ye Him, sun and moon. Praise ye Him, all ye stars of light. Praise Him, you heavens of heavens, and ye waters that be above the heavens. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for He commanded, and they were created. That's all of creation. He has also established them for ever and ever. He has made a decree which shall not pass. And by the way, that means He has made a decree that shall not pass away. It shall never pass away. It is eternal. Praise the Lord from the earth, you dragons and all deeps, which means that even the Loch Ness Monster is to praise the Lord. Fire and hail, snow and vapor, stormy wind fulfilling His word, mountains and all hills, fruitful trees and all cedars, beasts and all cattle, creeping things and flying fowl, kings of the earth and all people, princes and all judges of the earth, both young men and maidens, old men and children. Let them praise the name of the Lord, for His name alone is excellent. His glory is above the earth and the heaven. He also exalteth the horn of His people, the praise of all His saints, even of the children of Israel, a people near unto Him. Praise ye the Lord. And so we see that as the covenant goes out to affect all of creation, to affect especially all of those on this earth and all that is created by God on this earth, It just brings to mind how awesome God is to make a covenant with those who He created, first and foremost, in His image. Well, you'll notice how He brings that down to us in the last few verses. The kings of the earth, the people, the princes, young men, maidens, old men, children. We are to praise the name of the Lord. You know, Darnell, uh, I'm sorry, Donald Barnhouse writes this. He says, man has no claim whatsoever on God any more than a cup has a claim on the potter who formed it. God gave man life and God continues to keep man in life and man is dependent upon God for every breath he draws. But God has been pleased to bind himself by voluntary agreements called covenants in order that man may learn that God is full of grace and may serve Him with thanksgiving. That is an apt description of the covenants that we have before us today. In this particular covenant. As being one that is to teach man of God's grace. Think of how gracious God is to give us a covenant that would no longer destroy all of mankind and all of the earth with one universal flood. After that has already taken place. That just speaks greatly of God's mercy, of God's grace, of God's love. 
And that is what should draw us more and more to worship God, to praise God, to honor God with everything that is within us. Because He's worthy of our praise. We wouldn't even be able to praise if we didn't have the breath that was in us, if we didn't have the life that was in us to be here today to offer those praises unto God. That's why we as the church of Jesus Christ, we, that's why we need to resound with praises unto God, no matter what the condition is outside of these walls. And even still, we're to worship the Lord in here, and we're to worship the Lord out there too. Praise ye the Lord, it says. You'll notice that it doesn't say at the beginning of, the, of, of Psalm 148, Praise ye the Lord within these walls between 9 and 11 o'clock in the morning. Or at 9 o'clock only, and at 11 o'clock only, and at 5.30 on Saturday nights. It says, praise ye the Lord, period. You are to worship and honor and praise God. We see now that God is certainly the author of this covenant. But there are recipients to the covenant as well. In verses 9 and 10 it says, And I behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your seed after you. And with every living creature that is with you, of the fowl of, uh, of the cattle and of every beast of the earth with you, from all that go out of the ark to every beast of the earth. So they're recipients of this covenant that God makes. And as already mentioned, God gave this promise or covenant to Noah and his sons and to their seed or descendants. Well, by the way, remember that the word seed is the biblical term for descendant and refers to all the descendants of Noah. And this means that the Noahic covenant was given to the whole human race. Not just to Noah, but to the whole human race. For Noah stood at the head of the human race as the father of all who were yet to be born upon the earth. All the seed, in other words. All the seed, all of the human race, can be traced back to Noah. And of course we also know that, obviously that goes all the way back to Adam and Eve as well. But for purposes of realizing this new world that God has created after the flood, then Noah is the one that needs to be considered here. But I want you also to remember something else. Remember uh, when, uh, that uh, when the, the word seed is used in connection with the promises or covenants of God, it is singular. And it refers primarily to the promised Savior or Messiah of the world, the Lord Jesus Christ himself. Now, we are told this by the Apostle Paul in Galatians chapter uh, 3, verse 16, when he says, Now, to Abraham and his seed were the promises made. Abraham and his seed, seed singular, not plural. He saith not, and to seeds as of many. Here Paul explains. But as of one, and to thy seed, singular, which is Christ. Now, this is a most wonderful fact. It means that the Noahic covenant is given to every living being on earth, both man and animal. It means that we who live today, all of us, are the recipients of the Noahic covenant. And these great promises of God are given to us and to all of our children, and even to those who are yet to be born. These great promises are even given to the animals of the earth. But what are the promises? 
what is the Noahic covenant established by God with us and the earth? What is that covenant? Well, first of all, let's consider our next point. Verse 11. The covenant itself. I will establish my covenant with you. Neither shall all flesh be cut off any more by the waters of a flood. Neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. So let's deal with the covenant itself. Because God called the covenant my covenant. Now that's very significant here. God calls it my covenant, pointing to one that already existed. Because God doesn't say here to Noah, I am forming a covenant with you for the first time. He doesn't say that. He says, I will establish my covenant. Meaning that this is God's covenant already with you. So it was already established eternally. Note the word established. Where it says, I will establish my covenant. This word is the word kum in the Hebrew, uh, Q-U-M. And it can mean to fulfill, to carry out, to continue, or to keep. Now, the Lord could be saying that he was fulfilling and carrying out his own personal covenant, the covenant already established with man. And you might ask, well, which covenant was already established for man and with man? Well, there was one covenant that existed prior to Noah. A covenant that man himself could not do anything to destroy. It was the covenant of the promised seed which had first been given to Adam after the fall. When God speaks to the serpent to bring judgment upon the serpent, what does he say to him? In Genesis 3.15, he says, And I will put enmity or hostility between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed, singular. It shall bruise thy head, and thou shalt bruise his heel. That was a promise that God gave for the coming Messiah. I, he says, notice, I will put enmity. I will put that hostility. I will bring forth that seed, the promise Messiah. Now, let's remember the terrifying experience of Noah and what he had been through and his great need for assurance, his great, his great need to feel safe, to feel secure. You know, God was, was now giving Noah great assurance, assuring him that he was counted godly and, and acceptable to God while reminding him of the earlier promise made that, that Noah was to be a direct descendant of the promised seed. And that he and his seed were to be the godly line through whom the Savior of the world was to come. You can go back to Genesis 6 verse 18 where God says to Noah, But with thee will I establish my covenant, and thou shalt come into the ark, thou and thy sons and thy wife and thy sons' wives, with thee. So already he's already told them about this covenant. I will establish my covenant with you. But it was a covenant already established. It was something that had to take place. 
and was going to take place because God was going to make it take place. You see, a third fact points to the promised seed being part of God's covenant with Noah. There before God, Noah was the only living father upon the earth. There were only eight people on the ark. And Noah's sons had wives, but they had yet to have children. So understand that all other fathers had been destroyed in the flood. Noah stood as the father, the head of the whole human race at this point, as the father of all succeeding generations. And it is impossible, if not totally impossible, to think that God would not cover his great promise with Noah, the covenant of the promised seed, of the coming Savior of the world. God loves man too much. God loved Noah too much. Not to give the only surviving father upon the earth the great assurance of salvation, the great hope of the coming Savior. The Lord had given the assurance of the promised seed to Adam when? Right after Adam had experienced the terrifying fall into sin. Do you see the pattern of God's grace and God's love? After the sin, He says, I'm bringing a seed to stand between what the enemy has done with man. Between thy seed and her seed. The promise of Messiah. God loves man too much. After Adam's fall comes the promise. Listen. His great promise with Noah. Why not give that same assurance to Noah right after his terrifying experience? The experience of having been in that ark for all that time, listening and hearing what was happening to all of mankind outside. Why not give him the assurance right after that experience as well? Well, that's what God does. That's what God does. Go back to verse 11 of chapter 9 and it says, And I will establish, God says, I will establish, fulfill, in other words, I will continue and I will carry out my covenant with you. Neither shall all the flesh be cut off any more by the waters of the flood, neither shall there any more be a flood to destroy the earth. I want you to consider now Noah's heart after hearing those words. Consider his heart after hearing those words, what peace and security he would now have. Because now, after hearing these things from God, he would know a few things. Now Noah would know that he was acceptable to God. Now Noah would know that God was looking after him and caring for him in a very special way. Now he would know that God had chosen him for a great purpose, that of bearing the promised seed, the line through whom the Savior of the world would come. That's the covenant. At least part of it, really. Because when you hear the whole of the covenant about the very fact that he says, I, I, I will not cut off flesh anymore this way with a flood, a universal flood. I will no longer bring a flood to destroy the earth. What, is, what has been affected? Man and the earth. 
What is it that God said to Noah, as well as to Adam? Multiply. Go forth and multiply and replenish the earth. Well, there was, there was no earth any longer, right? I mean, as far as the way he destroyed it. But, but there was an earth, a new world. And Noah has given that same commandment. Go and multiply and replenish the earth. Why? Because God isn't finished with his first promise to bring seed, the seed, the promise of the coming Messiah. So, God gives a sign. He gives a sign of a covenant, of this particular covenant. Verse 12 of Genesis 9 says, And God said, This is the token of the covenant. This is the sign of the covenant, in other words, which I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for perpetual generations. I do set my bow in the cloud. That's a beautiful picture, isn't it? I do set my bow in the cloud. You all know what that is, right? It's a rainbow, isn't it? I do set my bow in the cloud. You know, the, the word for bow here is the very same word in the Hebrew for the bow of an archer. And that's pretty significant, I think. That God said that I set my bow in the cloud. And I want you to notice the direction that the bow is aiming. It's not aiming toward the earth. It's just aiming away from the earth. You see, I no longer will destroy the earth this way. God lays down His weapon of judgment. But now we see it as His covenant. I would be very afraid if ever I walked out after a rain and saw a rainbow that looked like this. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy? No. I will no longer destroy the earth as I have already done. I set my bow in the cloud, and it shall be for a token of a covenant between me and the earth. And it shall come to pass when I bring a cloud over the earth, that the bow shall be seen in the cloud. That bow of God's glory. You'll see that in a moment. And I will remember my covenant. Notice what God says. I will remember my covenant which is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall no more become a flood to destroy all flesh. And the bow shall be in the cloud. You'll see that bow again. And, the clo- and, and, and I will look upon it that I may remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is upon the earth. And God said unto Noah, This is the token of the covenant which I have established between me and all flesh that is upon the earth. God promised to never again destroy the earth with a universal flood. Now, there is an interesting point here to consider. Uh, I'm only going to kind of touch upon all of this kind of generally speaking today. Next time we're going to deal a little more specifically with this particular covenant as it leads us into the next portion of chapter 9 to the end. 
But for, for now, this is the only specific I'm going to give you. And that is that it is the fact that those who adhere to the theory of a series of local floods rather than a universal flood, they would really have a, a, a major dilemma with this covenant that God has made. Because if it had only been local floods, then the Lord has already broken his covenant to mankind because throughout history there have been numerous, very substantial floods that have caused great damage and loss of life. And that would not only include just the, the humanistic evolutionists, but even the theistic evolutionists, those who say, well, we believe there is a God, but God used evolution to create things. Well, if that's the case, then God is a breaker of his promises. And guess what? God doesn't break his promises. So I know that when God speaks of a flood uh, that is universal, that destroys all of the earth and all of humanity, guess what? It's universal, and we can believe that. And therefore, God doesn't break his covenants, and we can believe the flood was indeed universal. See, it doesn't make sense if there were only local floods for God to, to make a covenant of this sort, because he would then have already broken it. But he didn't. He's kept it. He keeps his covenant. So the rainbow is a sign given to all generations. It was not just a sign given to Noah and his family. It was a sign given to all of us, to all generations of people. The rainbow is a sign set in the clouds by God himself, set there for the purpose of being a sign of his great covenant with Noah and with mankind. But there is another little detail in the evidence that there was no rain on the earth before the flood or the rainbow would have appeared then also. Again, think about the canopy that we talked about that covered the earth during the time of Adam and Eve before the fall. Every bit of conditions, every bit of all the conditions on the earth were, were climate controlled by God. There was no need for rainbows. If there was rainbow, it was around God himself who was already present anyway. But the glory of God, in, in, in essence, was already around Adam and Eve. So, after the flood, there came these great climactic changes, and God, who is light and in whom dwells no darkness at all, will shine through his own rainstorms and, and reflect to the eyes of man the prison of the prism of his own glory. I mean, that brings science into the spiritual. You know, the science of light, uh, you know, reflecti uh, reflecting and refracting, you know, the lights through the, you know, through the water and the rain and all of that, and that, that's what gives us the rainbow. Well, that's, that's science, and that's a good thing, but, but you know what? God put that there for us because of His glory. And by the way, there is a rainbow that is around the throne of God. I think it's a rainbow, I, I believe, from, this, from the language that just is 360 degrees of rainbow around the throne of God. We only get to see half of one. Usually, But listen, listen to what John says in Revelation chapter 4, verses 2 and 3. Where it talks about there in chapter 4, John being caught up into heaven. He says, immediately I, I was in the spirit and behold, a throne was set in heaven and one sat on the throne. And he that sat was to look upon like a jasper and a sardine stone. And there was a rainbow round about the throne in sight like unto an emerald. 
That's God's glory. The light of God's glory shining through. And, and we see, you know, that, that glory. We'll see that glory in a greater sense then. We'll see all of the glory of God then. But we get to partially see that glory in, in every rainbow that we see. But that reminds us of God's grace. It reminds us of God's goodness. It reminds us of how God loves us to let the seed of the promised Messiah come. For now we have been blessed by Jesus Christ. Were God to continue to destroy every time man got off off the mark, we'd be in a lot of trouble. So you see the promise goes all the way back to the promise he made of sending the seed through Adam, through Eve, through Seth, through Noah, through Shem, and now to us, to our day and time. You know, at the moment that rain was falling, the sign of the rainbow would assure the sinners and would assure us that that the forbearance of God was raining. Not raining like water, but raining like a king. The forbearance of God was raining. And that they were under the grace of God. The rainbow reminds us that we are under the grace of God. God remembers His covenant, He goes on to say. Forgives and He forgets our sins and our iniquities, remembering them no more. How important that is for us to know that God forgives and forgets because He remembers His covenant. Now what does that mean for us? Well, it means for us that we need to continue to live for God. That we need to continue to live right before the Lord. But praise God that he has that remembrance. That when he, sees his, when he sees his glory, when he sees his rainbow, he remembers his covenant with us. I think of the words of the Lord in Isaiah 54 verses 9 and 10 when he says, For this is as the waters of Noah unto me. For as I have sworn that the waters of Noah should no more go over the earth, so have I sworn that I would not be wroth with thee, nor rebuke thee. For the mountains shall depart, and the hills be removed, but my kindness shall not depart from thee. Neither shall the covenant of my peace be removed, saith the Lord, that hath mercy on thee. How wonderful it is for us to know God's mercies and God's grace. And the next time that you look upon a, a rainbow, consider how precious God's mercies are to you today. I think of Jeremiah 31, verse 34, and I close with this. They shall teach no more every man his neighbor, and every man his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least of them unto the greatest of them, saith the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. We seem to be the only ones that keep remembering our own sins. God says, when I forgive you, I forget. And I forget because I remember. I remember my covenant. You can't keep that covenant. I can, God says. Isn't that a beautiful thought? 
Doesn't that change our ways of looking at rainbows nowadays? I just think of the rainbow of God saying, no longer will I destroy this earth that way. We do know that there will come a time when judgment will come again to this earth. It's been predicted. Peter has talked about it. But it won't come by flood. It will come by fire. So what does that mean? It means that we need to be ready. And we need to get ourselves ready and our hearts ready for Jesus to come. Let's be ready. But let's look at the, let's look at the clouds. Let's keep looking up because our redemption draws near. And let's look at the rainbow and think what a glorious, glorious promise God has given. Let's live for Jesus. Let's never take for granted the things that God has done for us. Let's pray.